And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> we, Covenant's made simple. We have been. We've been talking for like an hour. Oh my goodness. Or more. Yes. But but now we can read the last chapter before we talk about baptism. So that's great. Is he going to get into baptism? I haven't even gotten far enough to, no, not, to know if he does anything. He doesn't baptism. in 9, but I've looked ahead to 10 at the subheadings. And it certainly implies that we'll be discussing that fun topic. It's almost like we have to because it's bah. baptism is covenantal. That's going to be fun. That's going to be great. Okay, this I, it is ironic, unfortunately, that Mr. Sweeney can't be here today because he's literally tonight coming into youth ministry to speak on the uh, topic of grace alone, alone. Yes. i know i know Just yeah like, i'm excited that he gets to do that but hopefully you read the chapter though. i know <laughs> hopefully you had a chance on this uh, no i looked over his stuff uh, he sent it to me and so i think it'll be good yeah it'll be good for everybody yes yes i i also was able to look through it but yeah i'm trying to think where do we leave off in our last chapter oh you know what <clears throat> I, I i was looking through uh chapter 10 because I thought... Oh, that is the baptism one, yeah. That is the baptism one, because when when you just mentioned baptism, <laughs> I was looking through chapter 11, because I was like, that's the next chapter. I just realized that I'm looking at 10. <laughs> All right, we're on 9. We are on 9. We are on 9, Covenant Salvation. That's um, right. This was one of the more helpful ways, and I think um, I think John D. Rhodes is fantastic at this, by the way. So we just, for Restless, we just gave away, uh, for our Reformation Day live stream, we gave away two... Um, copies of uh, John T. Rhodes' new book on Reformed Worship. Reformed Worship? I don't remember if that's Is this just Regulative Principle 101? Uh, basically, yeah. I mean, it is his, his uh, <coughs> worship. Like, take, like, here we have, you know, basic covenant theology. It seems like that's what he's doing then with that. And he's, Great. he's so good at <clears throat> describing these things, I think, in ways that are not... They're not the typical way that, like, a Reformed or Calvinist sure. person would. So in this <clears throat> chapter... We really get his like explanation of the doctrines of grace, right? Uh, but in a way that he hardly ever uses the actual uses titles, the actual yes. words that yes. are common, yep. And that's so good because it just it just walks right around all of the difficulties right. that people have, all the hangups, right? And he just says things like, "Look what Jesus says in John 6. right? <laughs> what does that teach us? You know, mm-hmm. like he he just walks right around those things. Um, but connects them to everything he's set up to this point. So it's super helpful. I was so impressed with it. Like, I love this chapter. And, and I was impressed until he quotes Shylin, which is awesome. <laughs> I love Shylin, so that, that's more clout for John T. in my mind. But I listened to it today on the way in. I think he just stole all the lyrics from John T. Rhodes. <laughs> Rhodes like, makes the same argument about the Trinity and like the Father and the Spirit not being in tension with the Son over who's to be saved. And yeah. it was just like... It, it was cool. I'd never heard... Uh, can't remember the name of the song. I know it's referenced later in the chapter, but uh, it was just fantastic. I, uh, if you remember uh, Tanner Beebe from A Bet Camp, he that man introduced me to Shylin with the Hypostatic Union song, yep. and uh, I've not listened to him in a long time. So. Yeah, super helpful if you've not listened to Shylin recently, dude. Uh, yeah, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, I could honestly when I read the the lyric bit. You can remember it? I, well, I can just hear it in his voice. Yes. Like, I can just hear it in Shylin's voice. I never listen to Shylin a ton. I, Dude, so, he's great. You know, he's there's great. a couple songs that I listen to more than others, but yep. uh, never never as much as some others. Uh, but super helpful yep. if you want to get some of these basic theological categories. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he definitely goes through a lot of the same ideas that are proposed, proposed here in Chapter 9. Um, which, yeah, obviously... 
he titles it Covenant Salvation, but yeah, you could certainly rightly say it's primarily about the doctrine of grace alone, about yeah how we're saved in that way. And yeah, to your point, those doctrines of grace of, you know, how does he go about electing us and what are the connotations if it's not all grace? Yeah, so this is, let's start there um, because uh, he helpfully said, like points out that, hey, most of us basically think this way, that, um, you know, there's a cooperative effort mm-hmm. between us and God. And it's probably more God than me. Right, most like people can surrender that. Yes, but, maybe my but I have percent. that 5%. Yeah. My 5% is I have to believe, right? And so everything's kind of uh, dependent upon that belief. Right. And so he brings up three problems that then he deals with later so on. Good. And this is a great, this is the way to, to handle this. But three problems, if that's true, if that's your view yep. of salvation, uh, is number one, he says the pastoral problem, that it robs us of assurance of confidence that we'll be saved, right? Because if even 5% of right. your standing before God um, is dependent mm-hmm. upon your, your not just your belief, but like, uh, because in a sense it is, mm-hmm. but your belief that comes completely from you, right? right. That is just, it's <clears throat> independent of God. Well, then you can't actually know that you're going right. to be saved. You can't actually know that you will persevere. You can't right. actually... Um, make your calling and election sure. Right. You Hopefully can. I die at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so um, that's the pastoral problem. Um, the second problem, he says, is is the theological problem. And that's the idea uh, that uh, this would rob God of some of his glory. Mm-hmm. Right? So this, um, you know, uh, Matt and I uh, talked on uh, the you know Reformation Day uh, uh, stream. Um, talking about, you know, all these, uh, we watched all these Tradcath uh, video reels uh, making fun of Protestants and stuff and reacted to them. Super fun. From a Catholic perspective? Yes, yeah, so these were all Trad Catholics. Gotcha. Making different, yep. you know, different, uh, they weren't TikToks, but basically TikToks sure, or reels sure. or whatever. Yep, yep. And uh, using those in some way to either defend Catholicism or attack Protestantism. Right. And so that's what we did to celebrate Reformation Day is, is, uh, just watch those and react and have fun. <laughs> we, a brief aside on that note, we, uh, the Simeon Trust Conference, there was a challenge of, hey, um, I think it's, what chapter of John is it where uh, Jesus does his first miracle, uh, water into wine, is that John 2 or 3? It should be John 2 or 3. It must yeah, be 2. I mean, it must be 2. It's got to be 2 because 3 yeah. is the woman at the Nicodemus. Well. Yeah. No, that's 4, I think. But oh, anyway, you're right. Yes, no, you're yes. right, because Nicodemus comes first. You're Regardless, right. I think it's 2. Anyway, so the, the challenge was who can, mis- who can misapply this the most egregiously? And Matt and I both had seen a recent video of a Catholic who was like, well, the basic idea here is that if Jesus <laughs> won't listen to you, appeal to Mary, right. and then she will appear to right. Jesus. And that's, that's the press. And I actually right. have seen a video like the one you're describing of oh, a guy yeah, we who so terrible. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. We did win with that. That was we yes. got free drinks, or at least credit for free drinks because nice. of that. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, but it does. Like this brings up the question of like if if you uh, take that part, um, then right. you can't say with Paul, for instance, that um, you know God saves in such a way that no man may boast. Right. Right. Um, that salvation of the Lord is salvation without boasting. Right. Um, you actually you couldn't say that because. You get to well, there a is little a piece, bit, right? Yeah. Like there is a piece of it. This, and you could say, well, I mean, it's it's mostly know, oh, God, it's mostly God, yeah. but like, you, there's still at least a humble brag in there. Yes, you know, at yeah. least a little bit. Well, I did my part. Yeah, that's yeah, John T. ends that section with the "Well done, God. Well done, Jesus. Well done, me. Well done, me. <laughs> right. 
Like that is that's a natural consequence of that. Yep. Understanding. Robin got a glory. Um, yeah. And then third, he says, is the practical issue, uh, where he says, if the final five percent of someone becoming a Christian rests in their hands, um, then what's the point of praying? Right. For them? And right. So he talks about the issue of of prayer and how we think of God using prayer to right. bring somebody to the faith. So if you've ever prayed that God would bring someone to salvation, well, you yep. can't actually. Do that if that's right, true. right. Well, that's I, I really like the dialogue that he puts in here. It helps that like seem even more ridiculous. He's like, he says, well, what if I say, Father God, I'd love for Jemima to become a Christian. Please soften her heart so that she follows Jesus. In this case, God's going to say back, Yeah, I, I'd love that too. Yeah, I'd love for her to worship me, but her heart is her heart. You know, it's beyond my reach. That's not a whole lot I can do about it. It's right. It's up to. Well, you got to take that Jemima. up with her. <laughs> yeah, yep, good luck. You can try to convince her. Let me know yeah. if she becomes more receptive. Right. Because I'm still here. <laughs> Sounds like, like a, a clingy boyfriend in this scenario. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. So, yeah, um, and so this is part of the problem with a lot of these is that it's, it's what we – like this comes out of the tension he mentions of what we've seen so far that, that although there is a condition tied to the covenant mm-hmm. – it's not meritorious. God yeah. speaks very clearly with the kind of confidence that says that obviously that's done, right? Like I'll, I'll take care of that, right? Mm-hmm. He He's the one that walks through the split animals right. uh, in front of Abraham, right? Like yep. that's, that's the nature of God's covenantal love, uh, which means that there's something more going on, right? Like mm-hmm. that, we, we have to figure out how to, uh, you know, work through that tension. Right. And so he does that by showing the different, you know, the different work of each person of the Godhead mm-hmm. um, in what what has been accomplished. Right. right. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to talk about anything else before we get into that? No, no. I think that's good. I think it's just a good summary summarization. Excuse me of the pastoral, theological, and practical problems that Jati really helpfully identifies. Um, yeah, then he goes into his, his first main point of unconditional love, the idea of the Father choosing a people. I love, by the way, how, uh, you know, he, he explains this so well as a Trinitarian. Mm-hmm, uh, yes. And it, it does seem to me like a lot of the time the, the way that the doctrines of grace are handled, um, and... And this is the product of the doctrines of grace being popularized amongst YRR, a general, yeah. yep. you know, um, evangelical type audience who generally didn't even understand the truth, right. right? Didn't understand that the more, more foundational and more important truths yep. of the faith. Yep. Um, but it makes it where, like, that's such a central issue. Yeah. But actually understanding the nature of the, the Godhead as God has revealed himself. Um, had, like that doesn't really play a role in anything. Right. Oh no! Like actually, the way that he goes about it is starting that way, right? Praise so, God. So yeah. what do we learn? Well, the Father um, chooses those who will be saved, right? The, the the Father has elected some unto salvation, um, and that's where it starts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He also gets you know obviously pokes a little bit at the Arminian approach to this pre pre seeing or well, how, how would you what term would you use for that the the idea of like. There's a, there's a specific term for the yeah, Armenian foreknowledge. Like foreknowledge. Thank foreknowledge. you. Yes. Like what what foreknowing means or what, yeah. that, what that actually looks like. Have you heard DeYoung on this talk about when he was so Kevin DeYoung has got this hilarious bit. He opens his book Grace Defined and Defended with this story about he's like yeah I grew up going to a public school in Michigan and of course you know very Dutch Dutch reformed background and the heritage there so even in a public school they were learning about John Calvin now 
when John Calvin's theology was beginning to be unearthed, the whole class was, you know, erupting in anger. Um, but Cal- or, but DeYoung remembered. His mother had told him at a young age, John Calvin? Oh, we like John Calvin. And so Kevin DeYoung boldly stands up in front of his classmates and tells him, no, 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 guys, don't be upset. What John Calvin meant to say, what he's trying to say, is that God looked into the future, yeah. saw who would choose him, and then he chose them. And so he's like, I did an excellent job defending Calvinism with Arminianism. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just, really which yeah, Rhodes responds that sometimes people try to evade the Bible's clear teaching on election by shifting the ultimate decision from God to human beings. But if God is simply recognizing and then echoing our choice, in what sense can he be said to be choosing himself? Then he also, then he says this flatly contradicts the Bible's teaching. He references 2 Timothy 1.9 there. I love, he's got that little one-liner somewhere after that, God does not play dice for your salvation. Yeah, I marked that up too, because that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, it is not, uh, this doesn't mean that it's uh, random how God does this. And also, I think that sometimes people, uh, one of the the hang-ups for some people is um, they, they have this kind of assumption that um, God's gracious choice is super small in scope like God is going to save these 10 people mm. and everybody else is done for yeah. right? and there's yeah. no there's no hope but actually no the, the the way that scripture speaks actually is that a great multitude will mm. be in heaven right like just that God is more gracious than we even realize um, and I think <coughs> that's I think that's important to remember and it's I mean it, there are reformed folks who give the 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 sense that man it's going to be uh you know it's, it's going to have a great right, time it's yeah. going to be awesome when when right the the 50 of us finally get to meet in heaven um no yeah. it's going to be massive right like his, his grace is massive it's yeah. it's huge and so so that's what we should uh should see but the right. the point is that <clears> it's not it's not so God's just randomly doing this either. I mean, we don't know all of his purposes or why right. he does everything except that it is for his glory. Uh, but he is, he does do this according to right. his good purpose. And, you know. Yep, yep. So that's the first point is it's all on the Father's unconditional election of us. Then he moves on to the second point on 133. He, he subtitles this personal love, and he talks about the Son's role trinitarianly uh, in our salvation. Um yeah. Yeah, and really focuses in on the idea that um, when Jesus died, it was personal, right? Um, not had a day in the last two and a half weeks that I haven't woken up with enormous amounts of mucus spilling out of my mouth hole and my nose holes. You got a cold or is it a like allergy type thing? It's definitely not allergies. Yeah, I've been like in and out of like feeling sick for the last two and a half weeks, but I feel like this is the best I felt in that time frame. It's it's been going around, man. Just that like really long, just never ending. I mean, we had that in our house, like seriously, since Labor Day, somebody was sick and then that, you know, Reformation... Sunday. That's we right. Like, you know, hey, we're all feeling good. Like, See the opportunity. Everybody. Yeah. Dude, we invited so many people. That's so great. I'm glad that not everybody showed up. It would have been crazy. But, uh, <laughs> it was a good crew. Yeah. Besides Andrew. Ah. I know. No, it was it was fun. Um, but yeah, so the idea that you know Jesus' death was personal is important because 
Um, like it's it's not as though Jesus died for some vague idea of humanity or something right. like that. He died for you. Right. Um, he he laid down his life for his sheep. Right. Um, it's it's personal in the sense that Jesus actually died for actual people. Right. Um, and that's that's uh, a necessary thing to remember. For sure. Praise God. Yeah. Not not for the yeah broader concept of the possibility of a people. Yeah. But for a specific people. Yeah. And then yeah, I like Rhodes qualifies it. He says on one thirty four, uh, if we put these pieces together, we see that these sheep for whom Christ died one are given to Jesus by God the Father, two, will definitely go to heaven, and three, follow Jesus, which this is great, and it also reminds me of later on in the text when uh, he's like, when people ask the question, can I lose my faith? A more biblical question of that, version of that question might be, can Jesus lose a sheep? Can, can, can he lose part of his flock? Yep. Which, it sounds so much sillier when you put it into that <laughs> tense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this bridges into, you know, he, he talks about some of the some of the issues with thinking that, okay, well, when Jesus died, he died for everybody in some right. way. Um, and, and by the way, I don't think it's actually wrong um, in a certain sense to qualify a statement like that and say, there's a sense in which Jesus died um, as, like, in, in a way that was for the world. Well, Rhodes writes that at the end of the chapter, right, where right. he talks about, like, using that definition, we can comfortably still yeah, say that. we can definitely comfortably still say that, but when we're talking about um, the efficacy of what he right. did and accomplished, um, it's very it's clear specific, that this yeah. was for specific yeah. people. Right. Um, it is for those who, who uh, believe, and so, um, so that's important. And he points out some of the issues with, okay, well, if Jesus died for everybody, does that mean, Equally. for instance, like those who died? Before he came, and were in judgment, mm-hmm. did he die for them? Like that? How you know? Um, how how does how does that work? And he, he walks through some other you know uh, objections for that. that right. You know, we just <clears throat> at least make you think about it. Uh, you know, at least make you question them. Right. And so then the question is, well, okay, is you know if if he didn't die for everyone, then then doesn't that limit? Uh, his atonement, right? right? Doesn't that limit what he's done? And, you know, he's exactly right that this is a horrible um, phrase that we use as uh, as those who do believe in the doctrines of grace and using the word limited atonement. Mm-hmm. Well, just, just the connotations, yeah. The Versus, are, yeah, yep, are, are, you know, way messed up because of how we understand the word limited. It's inherently negative. Yeah. But I do appreciate it. So my first time studying this was DeYoung's book, Grace Defined and Defended. And he's like, in a, like, yeah, no matter what, this is a helpful way to turn it back. Obviously, people who deny it, like you're limiting something. Yes, and of course, exactly. it's the efficacy that you mentioned previously that's being limited if you're not limiting the scope of right. it. You're, right, you're limiting the scope or the efficacy. Which then you need to remedy that with, to Rhodes' point in Matthew 121. It says, uh, when an angel appeared to Joseph, he told him uh, Mary's son's name is Jesus, for he will save his people right. from their sins. Not he might. Not uh, he, he, he could potentially right. right. He will save he will his open people. Open up a way if they will only go in. And, well, no, oh. he says this is yeah. go, He's going to from birth and then to on the cross when he says it is finished. It's finished. Not it is now a possibility. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've Which, now made it possible. Yes. 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 Yeah, no. Yes. Yeah. Praise that's God. Super helpful. Super helpful. He. I also appreciate it. Um, Rhodes brings up an excellent question of, you know, that first sub-point on 135, did Jesus die for Hitler's sins? If so, on what grounds can he refuse Hitler entry to heaven? God is just, so he cannot punish sin twice. The idea that 
yeah, he, <laughs> if sin is for all people, then something, for, then Christ's blood really wasn't sufficient. Then a few drops of Christ's blood at least were wasted because obviously there are people for whom he died who are now having to be punished again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty significant problem. Yeah, so his final point um, moves to then the work of the Spirit mm. um, in renewing us and giving us new hearts and, and uh, working in us this new birth. And um, this is where he, you know, he deals with this issue of, okay, well, but how, how can we say if it is by faith, uh, by our faith that, that, you know, this salvation comes to us, how can we say that that's not something that we do? Right. Um, and ultimately, it's because faith, too, is a gift, right? Faith, too, is something that the Spirit mm -hmm. works in us. Um, this is uh, this is one of the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit of God is that he gives us a new heart right. uh, by which we can believe. Yeah. Um, and so, so even here, it's not as though um, you're just working something up in yourself and right. getting to the point where finally you, you know, you uh, take that 5% yep. that you need to. Yep. Um, no, again, it's um, salvation is of the Lord mm -hmm. through and through. For dead people, not mortally wounded, That's not right. sick for dead people. Yes. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, in tonight's message, I looked through and Andrew's manuscript, and he does spend considerable time, necessarily so, on defining, hey, what does it mean that the Bible describes us as dead in our sins, mm -hmm. and what doesn't that mean? Yeah. Um, I do like, yeah, Rhodes writes, it would be like putting a life-giving potion next to a coffin and telling the dead person to drink. Like, the idea of the, the dead person image. contributing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good image. Like, it's just foolish. Like, yeah. Right, it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Um, yep. That's just not how it works. So, so yeah, so he brings it all together. He, you know, he has that, that uh, quote from Shia Lin, mm. on page 139. Uh, you know, he says, first, he says, if you're a Christian, uh, God has taken 100% ownership of your salvation. And mm -hmm. that's a grace. Like, yes. what, a, what a blessing to hear. Praise and God. then he quotes, you know, Shailen from Mission Accomplished, the Father chooses them, the Son gets bruised for them, the Spirit renews them. And uh, that, like, that is, again, that's just what we see over and over in Scripture. Yeah. Um, this, this work of uh, God, in a sense, as, uh, you know, God the Father is the author. Um, mm -hmm. the, the Son is the one that accomplishes these things and then the Spirit that applies them. Mm. Praise God. Praise God, man. Yeah. Yeah, the following page 140 is where he brings up that silly adage of someone Someone may ask, can a Christian lose his or her faith? A more biblical question would be, can Jesus lose a sheep? Then he says, two sentences later, God is not a schizophrenic. After choosing us, after sending us son to die for us, is he then going to let us wander off course during the final leg? Yep. Praise God. No. Yeah. This is his, by the way, dealing with a pastoral problem of assurance that we referenced earlier. Yeah, yeah, and so he's able to bring those together by saying, yeah, you no, you can have assurance because um, they're not just, it's not just about you, right? Just because you're having a down day. Right, um, or you're, you're having feeling bad, yeah. Or yeah. Um, you've fallen into some kind of sin. Um, if it's true that you've been united to Christ, it's like that's on him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not... You, know, you don't want to take that to the point where you say, well, then God is responsible for all right. my sin. Right. That actually yeah. tells me, oh, right. well, you're not. No, you don't understand. Yep. Um, you don't get it. Yep. Uh, because actually, yeah, like, you know, if I say, yeah, Christ is taking responsibility for all my sin, which is true. Mm -hmm. That's, um, if, if that does not move me right. to repentance, then right. I don't actually know it. I don't actually understand it, right? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not actually seeing it like I'm supposed right. to. Um, it's not having the effect in me like it has when it's true. I'm curious what you think of, I heard this analogy 
semi-recently, I think. I can't remember who I heard it from, but I'm curious if you like it or if you would revise it. So the analogy goes like this. On, on this particular topic of, like, unrepentant habitual sin after after supposed salvation of... Uh, the story goes, imagine a, a, a father and his, his small boy at a zoo, and they're outside the lion exhibit, and or the alligator exhibit, I think it was, and the boy falls into the pit, and suddenly the alligators start tearing off after him. He's, he's certainly seeing his life flash before his eyes. And at the last second, father jumps in, hoists his boy up, and he gets just torn up, ravaged by these alligators. He's, you know, eventually, you know, dad's able to pull himself out of the pit. They're both out of there. The boy looks at his father, sees him torn apart, and jumps back into the pit as if nothing had happened, uh, which obviously would illustrate the stupidity and, like, just a lack of awareness and, like, I don't know. Uh, is, is that a good analogy? There's, there's something to it. I mean, it's, it's actually not so dissimilar to um, the warning in Hebrews mm. um, when it comes to apostasy. That, yeah, in Hebrews know, 6. Somebody, yeah. right. Re-crucifying the son. Would be re-crucifying the son. And so uh, that, like, there's something to that. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know... Um, I think we want to have that careful distinction uh, mm-hmm. between, you know, the visible realities and the invisible realities. Right. Uh, but I think that it, I think that that can be be a helpful way to show the, you know, really the the danger. Right. Um, and the the wickedness of yeah, just the senseless. Sin. Yes. Yep. Senselessness. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So pastoral problem assurance. Um, no, no, you can have assurance because. It ultimately, um, Christ has taken it upon himself right. to say that he will bring you salvation. Um, the theological problem that he talks about with the uh, glory of God, the yeah. glory of God uh, is this is actually, you know, again, the Apostle Paul over and over uh, speaks of this idea that um, we're saved by grace through faith. No boasting of yourself. A, yeah. Not of works so that no one may boast. Right. right? So, um, actually, uh, we can say all glory to God alone because Praise God. because um, He is the one that has accomplished this yes. through and through. Right. Yes. And again, um, you know, to to uh, quote scripture again, salvation is of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not mostly um, begun by the yes. Lord. Right. It's yes. not. It's not. Um, it's not a, a cooperative. Hey, this is for all of us. This mm-hmm. is you know me and him working together. It's not in tandem. It just says no. It's of it's of the Lord, right? Salvation comes from Him, yeah. purely, right? Yep. It is monergistic. It is, it is um, something from Him. In in which case He does receive all of the glory. Mm-hmm. In which case, um, even you know when when Christ talks to the disciples and they've gone out and they've uh, cast out demons and they've done all these mm-hmm. things with power. One of the things He tells them is to actually you need to to uh, you know don't rejoice that that. Uh, you, you know, the demons hear your voice and listen, uh, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And, uh, and he goes on to say, it's like this. Um, if you are, and I may be mixing up these passages. I'm, this is my memory. Yep, yeah, you're good. <laughs> <of the temple. laughs> um, that he follows that by saying, you know, um, this parable of a servant who mm-hmm. does all that he, you know, all that, you know, he's been asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, the servant still says, I'm just a servant. Mm-hmm. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And he says, you should be like this too, that even when you've done all, even when you've done everything, right? Everything that you've been commanded, everything that's been done, you still don't say, look at how great I did. You just right. still don't say, wow, it's amazing. It doesn't mean that you don't, you're not like rejoicing in the fact that you had the opportunity to do this. But um, as a good servant, what you say is, I've only done what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not, you're still not taking to yourself right. some kind of priority or supremacy right. or glory. 
um, rather you're directing all of that to right. the master. Right. Yeah, that's certainly true in our, in our personal salvific stories, but then also the final one, the, the practical problem, which we talked about earlier of the silliness of praying to a God who can't affect men's hearts and can't, you know, have, have that control there. Um, well, yeah, similarly, God's glory exclusively here. He asks the question, of course, which, which is usually the, the skeptic's response, the Calvinist. Of, uh, well, after all, you know, why, why pray for somebody? Why evangelize to somebody if God already knows who's going to be saved and is going to save them? And Rhodes writes at 142, the simple answer is because God tells us to. Mysteriously, God uses our prayers and our evangelism as the means by which he brings people to faith. And then he, yeah, he goes on to spell out how incredible that is and like wonderful for us, but also, yeah, it's still completely within God's sovereign ruling power. And you know how sweet it is that we get to be the ambassadors of that grace. Yeah. Oh, I also, had you heard the term Pinocchio problem before? I thought that was great. Yeah, it was pretty good. That was, yeah, he... He uh, tells the story of Pinocchio really quickly with Geppetto, and uh, towards the end of it, he's like, yeah, a lot of people think about our faith that way, of, you know, we were completely unanimated, lifeless, dead, but then once we're brought to life, Geppetto loses all control. Geppetto no longer has any, and similarly, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe God has the, the catalytic effort of making people come alive, but now it's up to me. And, uh, of course, he says, no, 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 no. We, we don't think that God is as helpless as Geppetto is with a real boy. Um, what we're called to do is trust that God is sufficiently wise and an intelligent creator to make a universe wherein we are responsible. We're not robots. But he totally remains in control of our every decision. 